Good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, really great to worship with all of you, and uh, very encouraging. And uh, so I'll be sharing this morning from the Word of God, and um, hopefully the slides work out. But uh, let's just open in a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of uh, go forward. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for um, all the beauty and life and grace that you've given us, and all the blessing, and we know that every good thing that we have comes from your hand, and so we thank you, we praise you, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and the salvation that you've given us, and at what a cost, and we know that we're not worthy or deserving of this, but Lord, we're so thankful, and we want to honor you and glorify you and worship you with our lives. And so I pray that this morning that um, I would be invisible, but your word would be central, and I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that you would help me um, to not uh, say anything wrong, even just with accidental ways of expressing things, but just that you would guide me and guide my tongue, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I called this Focus on Faith because I think we need to focus on faith. It's kind of like me reminding myself of very basic things, um, kind of very fundamental uh, things, but I need to keep myself sane, and so um, that's what I'm coming with. Open your Bible, if you like, to 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8, and these are kind of good uh, verses to give a, a, a bit of flavor introduction and the, and the broad thoughts. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8 says, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. These are kind of... Uh, Verses that show a, a mind that is totally different from like a, a, an unregenerate or, or just like a normal way of thinking, someone who's not saved. Because it's just, uh, it's a totally different way of thinking, and I think the key there that we always pick out, we always pick out the, the middle of that, just verse 7 alone, and say, we walk by faith and not by sight. And the rest of it is kind of uncomfortable, because like, you know, I don't want to die. Um, I don't want to like, be separated from my physical body necessarily. But in another sense, walking by faith and not by sight, yes. It, we can say confidently, we can say knowing, walking by faith, and, and it, says, uh, it says being of good courage twice. Good courage or confidence. And so I think that that has been kind of you know, this has been percolating through my mind a lot, and every message that anyone ever prepares, I kind of say to themselves first, right? And so, this is what I need. I need to be able to walk by faith in confidence through life, and especially uh, these days. And so, that's what I want to focus on, is um, that confidence, that conviction, where someone could actually say something uh, like, like what was written there, uh, which is quite a radical change of, of the way of thinking um, because, uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, being separated from your body is bad, but to be with the Lord is good. And so 
Um, so I'll just kind of go through this and um, um, talk about faith itself and how it's such an amazing and vital part of life, such an amazing and mind-transforming thing that we have, and it's, it's great and it's wonderful, but it's not automatic, and so I want to kind of walk through some of the va very basic um, things of, of how I kind of process things and say, oh yeah, okay, I can approach this in faith, and I've been just going through the Bible looking at verses with the word faith in it, and it's, of course, everywhere, and some of these verses that we, I'm going to read the verses that you probably have read all the time, and it doesn't have to be anything new. This is just like a reminder, um, because I needed to remind myself of all of these things, um, and keep myself encouraged. And so, introduction. I'd like to say to you that faith is both amazing to have and vital as part of Christian life, and that's pretty obvious uh, if, if you're a believer, but it is. It really is amazing, and if I look at myself and take a step back, and I can see faith having its effect, and it amazes me to, to see, and it's not like me doing something, but it's God, and also it's vital. If I didn't have this focus and this very specific kind of locking in my brain to think this way, I would go crazy. Um, so it's kind of small. Uh, anyways, I'll read it for you. This is uh, Matthew 6, 25 and to 30. So if you want to open your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 6 and 25. I'm going to read a little passage here. This is a very familiar passage, but like I keep saying, it's no harm to repeat these things. In fact, it's beneficial to remind ourselves and for me to remind myself of these things. Matthew 6, 25. That is why, I, this is Jesus talking. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? I love this passage. This is a wonderful truth to meditate on. I think it's one of the most uh, profound and amazing and vital truths in the entire Bible. I love it so much. And it's part of one of the fundamental transformations that ha happen in your mind when you choose to live according to faith. And so I'd like you to step back outside of time and in your mind's eye, just step back and think about your life for a second. Think about your plans for the future. Think about how your week went. Have you ever allowed worry to take root in your heart? I think everyone can answer yes. Whether it's justified or not, worry, anxiety, these things can easily creep in, even when there's really nothing 
legitimate to worry and have anxiety about. Let me kind of walk you through and maybe you can relate, okay? These kind of thought patterns that I've had but have to deal with, put them down. Okay, how about this? Money. Okay, do I have enough? Am I gonna have enough? Costs are rising, like the economy. Um, it's not that great. How about my body, my health? What if I get hurt? What if I hurt myself? What if I get sick? What if you work with your body and you sprain something, you know, you have to take time off or whatever? My house, my wife, my family, are we all going to be okay? Current events, is society going to collapse? Is the world going to end? I think these are the kinds of thoughts that can take hold and you can get into a tailspin and just kind of, woo, woo, you're worrying, you're anxious, and you just go into a tailspin and, you're, and it gets out of control. Okay, this can happen, I think, to anyone allowing worry and anxiety to easily creep in about these things because they, they impact us, right? But what does these verses say? Verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Or if you want to look at the King James Version, which I really like uh, in that verse, it says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Yeah, I'm not denying that we live in an evil day. I don't deny that there are legitimate needs, legitimate challenges, and legitimate threats. But the point here is that we can face these things with faith and reason about these things and process these things through the lens of faith and with faith. Not with anxiety, not with fear, not with panic, not based on someone else's word, based on God's word. And in all of, instead of all of these things, instead of looking at all of these things, we can believe in the power of God and we can center our lives on that and live by faith and walk by faith. And to truly have faith in every aspect of life, like kind of how Jesus is describing here, would be a great miracle and a result of having your mind struck by amazing, powerful truth and transformed. And all of us can do better to live like that, to focus on faith and to live according to faith. And I know I can do better in my mind and in my life and in my attitudes to live like that. And this, that's one of my favorite passages um, kind of to have in there. Okay, just for fun, here's a picture of a lotus flower. And this is what I always kind of imagine in my mind when it says lilies of the field. This is like, in my opinion, a pretty majestic looking flower. Um, I think lotuses grow in water, not fields, but anyways. This is just like what I imagine. And um, I don't know, they're just, they're quite beautiful. How about uh, Matthew 17 and Luke 17? Both these have kind of the same 
kind of content. The apostle said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. I mean, earlier it said, uh, you know, why do you have so little faith? Okay, show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Okay, you've ever removed a big plant? Like it's a ton of work. The roots, ugh. You dig, like shovel. If you're doing that manually, I think Warren, you can probably understand. If you're trying to move a big plant manually, it's like impossible. Uh, you might as well just cut down the tree. Um, but to replant it and have it live in the sea, okay, that's, anyways. Okay, how about in Matthew 17? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Okay, that is just like, that statement itself is just like, how do you process that and actually like make sense of that with your reality and make that and have that truth real in your life? Okay, it's so incredible. Let's just read it again. Like, I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Okay, so what is this faith? Like, I, we need this, I need this, right? And can we dissect that a little bit? And that's kind of where I started. You know, we need to dissect this and really understand and this is an important thing, obviously, uh, and a powerful thing. We need this in our lives, we need to focus on this. Okay, think about moving a mountain. Massive pile of rock, dirt, and lots and lots of work if you had to move that. Manually, uh, it would be more work than you could ever hope to accomplish in a lifetime. You could take a shovel and a wheelbarrow and work your entire life and probably move less than 0.001% or something like that of the mountain, right? And if you didn't have a, a shovel and a wheelbarrow and all you had was a mustard seed, you'd probably move even less. But it's not the point, right? Faith the size of a mustard seed. And not a shovel and a wheelbarrow. We often, so often, just think about what can I do? What are my abilities? Take a step back in your life and take a breath and in your mind's eye, consider your biggest challenge in your life. It's probably not a literal mountain, but there are probably mountains in your life that you want to see moved. And for example, maybe you want to see a loved one or a friend saved, but it just seems so beyond the impossibility of human effort, and it is, because only God can save. And the only hope that is there is to pray in faith for that person that you love and you want to see them saved, but they're just, they're resistant to you, or they're just not getting it, or whatever it is. There's like a mountain, an example. But again, we, there's so many things in life, and I know some of you have huge mountains in your life right now, and I hope that if I was in your shoes that I could deal with it in a way that is consistent with the words of the Bible. I'm just saying that, honestly, I, um, you know, I can't say that, that uh, I can guarantee that I would be even as good as, as you at, at living in a way and approaching things in a way that's, that's faithful. 
but um, but I'm I'm always thinking about my how how is it, I'm always analyzing how I'm thinking myself because I know that I need to have more faith, and I need to prepare myself to have faith in in times because things will probably come up, and I need to be ready. I need to have faith that is set, and it's steady and. And so that's why I always remind myself of all of these things that we're going to talk about. Faith is our first, last, and only resort in life. Nothing else is even close to realistic. So clearly faith is an incredible thing. We can truthfully have hope in situations that seem totally impossible. And so that is kind of the introductory point. Faith is an amazing and vital part of Christian life. Just for fun, here's a picture of some really big mountains. Um, I googled Rocky Mountains, I don't know if these are those, but they are ginormous. It is a mountain range, it's not just one mountain. And so if you've ever been to like the Grand Canyon or a big mountain range, it's, all, it's a weird feeling because it's so big, it doesn't even seem real at first. Your brain can't process reality because it's so big. Your brain is just like, okay, this is a painting, I think, because this looks, this is just like, this is not real, this is a painting. And then you kind of, you're like there, and you're like, okay. Then you get over your vertigo a little bit, and you start to really appreciate the size. Okay, God is saying that there is a significant thing that is belief that we can have, and it is powerful. Okay. So what is faith? We want to dissect this. We can't just kind of throw a dart at a dartboard and say, okay, that's faith, and I'm going to move mountains with that. Uh, it's clearly of great value, but what is it? Okay, let's look to a definition. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Okay, we've got to break that down. That was the King James Version. Let's try again. NIV. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Okay, I, I think I need to just keep going on that. Like, what is this? Okay, Hebrews 11.1, 1, New Living Translation. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Okay, so that's what the Bible is saying. It says, faith is. It's pretty much a definition. I was reading a devotional, and I came across this definition, and I quite liked it, because I believe it's consistent. It said, faith is living as though what you believe is real. It's pretty consistent. Faith is substantial. Faith is affecting reality. Faith is going to change how your reality is. Okay, It's going to change your experience. Living as though what you believe is real, and I put in brackets, because we actually do have the truth. Good. So there was a brother, his name was Brooke, and he would do door-to-door -door evangelism. That's pretty bold. I've never done that. That takes some guts to want to do. Um, 
but his reasoning was as follows. Do we have the truth or do we not? Do we have the truth or do we not? And you kind of think about that. Okay, yes, yes, we have the truth. We do. It's true. We have the truth. Okay, why, why, why am I worrying about if I go and knock on someone's door if they're going to like, you know, not like that? Okay, we have the truth concerning eternal life. We have the truth concerning Jesus dying for us on the cross. We have the truth concerning where the universe came from. I really believe that we have the truth. Faith is living as though what you believe is real. These things are real. The Bible is truth, and that's real. The promises of God are real. That is reality. I like this definition a lot. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, you can't really see a promise until it comes true. So everyone believes something in their heart. Everyone believes something in the core of their being concerning God, creation, morality, purpose, destiny. Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? What am I? Who am I? What's my identity? What's my purpose? Okay, everyone has a worldview, even if it's at a subconscious level. People who think that they don't have a worldview, well, that belief forms part of their worldview and impacts how they live. There is no escape, in my opinion, of these things. In my opinion, also, most people don't carry a very strong conviction of their faith or don't live with a great deal of faith. I'm talking about in general, very much like the population of Earth, seven billion odd people. Because imagine if people did. Imagine if people lived by faith, by the definition that we've, we've talked about. Faith is living as though what you believe is real. Okay? I think of a Christian living in 100% perfect faith. What would that look like? Okay? If someone walked by faith, lived by faith, that would be quite amazing. I mean, Jesus is the man to look at for that. I also think of just another person who was quite faithful and... Um, it's George Mueller who cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime in the 1800s and he based it purely on donations without ever asking for money or borrowing money. 10,000 orphans never asked for money or borrowed money. That was his principle. And if you want to read George Mueller's autobiography, it's uh, very worth reading and in my opinion, I think it's a good book to read, and um, from written record, it's in there in the library, and um, you know, it's a good thing. So, he did not think, based on written record, that he had the spiritual gift of faith spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12. So this is a quote I found on John Piper's website attributed to George Mueller. It says this, all believers are called upon in the simple confidence of faith to cast all their burdens upon him to trust him for everything, and not only to make everything a subject of prayer, but to expect answers to their petitions, which they have asked according to his will and in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is true. All believers are called upon to have that simple confidence of faith. So I think he's right. 
He said he didn't have a special gift of faith. He thought he had regular faith. And he made a huge impact in society. He cared for over, he helped care for, he led the organization that cared for over 10,000 orphans. Um, and he had a great point. Almost all the promises and commands in scripture are not hinged on spiritual gifting. So we don't have an excuse. For example, Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Nowhere on those verses does it say, if you have the spiritual gift of faith, that is a special spiritual gift for some specific individuals, then be anxious for nothing. We are all called equally to have the simple confidence of faith, which is a simple confidence. It's actually not like, <laughs> you don't have to like do calculus or something. Faith is living as though what you believe is real. Okay, consider the opposite situation, because I said I think most people don't live by faith. Um, Christians, myself included, can do better to live by faith, of course, because we would, the world would look different if we really did. Um, and that's a challenge to myself, first and foremost of all. This whole message is just me processing things to myself. <laughs> but I hope I can encourage you. Consider the opposite situation. Imagine someone who believes that there is no God, who believes that we have no souls, who believes we're evolved from animals and therefore we are animals, who believes there's no such thing as absolute truth, and therefore there is no such thing as absolute moral law. Okay, think about someone who really believes all that. If they really truly believed all that and they really lived according to their faith and, believed as, and lived as though what they believed is real. Can you imagine that? It's kind of scary to think about. How would someone behave? What would they do and not do if they really truly believed all that and lived as though their belief is reality? So most people, I don't think, live based on faith. Imagine a whole postmodern society believing that there is no such thing as absolute truth for like the past 40 years. How would such a society operate? I'm not gonna get into it. But I will say this. The world desperately needs the message of the gospel. Amen. Okay, part two. What is the foundation of faith? What is this based on? We saw what it is. The substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Well, I'd say it is in large part based on faith to take God at his word to say, okay, God has spoken, and I accept God's testimony. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That he believe that he is, and that there can be a connection, that he can reward those who earnestly seek him. So something's gonna happen. So he exists and I can seek him and something's gonna happen. It all begins with this one seed of belief 
in God being who he says he is. Believe that he exists. It's really a fundamental kind of step. It's a fork in the road. Does God exist? Does God not exist? If he exists and he is who he says he is, what then? One or the other. It's pretty much a fork in the road that everyone has to face. And so what did God say to Moses at the burning bush? It says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? So Moses talking to God, basically says to God, Who do I say sent me? Uh, what's your name? So I can tell you, tell them that you sent me. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am that I am. Okay, Jehovah God is the first cause of the universe. He is the eternally self-existent one. He exists on his own self-existence. He is. I am. God is God. God is there. Yahweh God. He's absolute truth. And his very name is power. That name used to be copied with reverence by scribes and they would have like a special pen and they would switch pens before they would write that name. Some, some, some scribes would, some different, oh, through history people would take it to different extents. Some people would change their clothes and cleanse themselves, wash their hands before writing that name down. Because that name, that name, Jehovah, I am that I am. Faith means accepting that God is who he says he is. And faith has a result that accepting that I am who God says I am as well. And so we need to go to God with respect and humility and say, okay, if you're God, you get to say who you say you are and you're gonna, you're gonna explain that to me. You're God, I'm not. And you exist, and I'm gonna have to process that and deal with that. What does that mean? Okay, well, that means all of us have to reckon with and understand and accept what God says about us and about sin. Romans 1.20 says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse. None of us have any excuse for not understanding about God. That's what it basically says. For since the creation of the world, okay, that's since the beginning, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, being understood, by what has been made so that they are without excuse, so that I am without excuse. God is who he says he is. If God is who he says he is, then his word is truth. And this is very fundamental. I believe this is true for every single human being who ever lived or is living or will live on planet Earth because God said it. 
God understands each person perfectly because he formed each person's innermost being by hand, not carelessly, but carefully, like a master craftsman intensely involved in his work. And I believe he witnesses to each person in a way that is custom, tailor fit. Each person has a witness in their soul to his eternal power and divine nature. I remember some very long nights wrestling with God as a young person, a teenager, and losing sleep. And those were nights when the Holy Spirit was witnessing to me and I was convicted of the truth. And that's just me trying to sleep. It's a long, dark night. Everyone has their thing, but no one has an excuse, okay? But if you start with this one point of truth and accept it, you have to accept a whole bunch of other stuff along with it, the whole Bible, if you reason and think it through. Because like, if God can create the universe and breathe out stars and make a self-replicating information storage system that works with molecular machines and we call it DNA and RNA. He can just like, he can make that and all of these things form the whole world in six days and life. You know, just go look at the stars for a minute. I love clouds personally. Look at, go look at the clouds, take a walk. God created all of that. God created everything and God created me and God created you, okay? If, if we can accept that God is who he says he is, then that's true. And if that's true, his word is truth and we can trust him. And then you're gonna have to go and accept the whole Bible based on that because if he is who he says he is, his word is truth and here's his word. And then, you know, it's true. It's true all the way through. It's just, it's true. And is it true or not in our lives? And do we treat it as such? If he can do all that, do you think he can put a book in your hand? He can probably write a book, because I could write a book. And I could probably make sure that there's nothing incorrect in it. But God is greater, and he can do that. He can do that across the ages. He's done that. The Bible is God's word. Read it, understand it, and the truth will set you free and the truth will provide a foundation for faith. The word of God is the foundation of faith. What is the outcome of faith? So where does this get us? Well, first of all, if we reckon with our sin and we accept God says I'm a sinner, that means I'm a sinner. God says that this is bad enough for me to go to hell. That's true too. We accept God's word. Well, that's gonna take us to salvation because if we keep reading, God also provided a savior. And it's a really hard message. The gospel is the hardest message for anyone to accept because you have to really fully accept and believe that you're a wretch and that you need salvation. And we talked this morning about the cost, okay? Well, if you wanna know the cost of sin, look at the cross. Look at what it cost. And that is stuff that I've done. If we reckon with the truth and we allow it to, if we process it honestly and go through it, 
Salvation is there. It's a free gift. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So one of the outcomes of faith is salvation because you're going to go to God and agree with God that you're a sinner, ask for forgiveness, ask for salvation from sin based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. God will forgive your sin and make your soul alive. Otherwise, if you reject God and live as though he's not real, you'll live as though you're dead because trespasses and sins separate you from God. Faith is not the main thing here, and no one can boast about their faith. No one can boast in salvation. Christ is the central fact of salvation. But we often say a very small faith in a great God is sufficient. What else? Outcome of faith. Another outcome of faith is living out life on earth in a completely different way. Completely different. It should be no surprise if, 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 if we're all a little strange. <laughs> because if you really just live the way the Bible says, you're just going to be different. You're going to be an alien. You're going to be a sojourner. You're not going to feel at home in the world. You're going to be different. That's hard to say. <laughs> I'm kind of a proud to be a misfit anyways since I was born, basically. But that's personality. That's like... That's, that's something else, actually. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, but it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Remember our definition. Faith is living as though what you believe is real. You can have victory over sin. You can live this whole life in freedom from sin. You can exalt God and glorify him as Lord over your life every day in all things that you do through worship. Your life can be worship, not just worship in singing, but also worship in prayer, worship in actions, worship in thoughts, all of life can be worship. And I think that that is one outcome of faith, another one. First John 5, 4 says, Forever, for whoever has been born of God overcomes the world, and that this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's a pretty significant statement. Victory that has overcome the world. The world is pretty big. Bigger than mountains, by definition, because <laughs> there's mountains in the world. Overcome the world. You know, I think all of us have been processing a lot of different things recently, and there are legitimate challenges. I'm not saying there aren't. But if your life, your true life, your eternal life is hidden with God, the world certainly cannot touch it. And if we live by faith, these things aren't going to overwhelm us. 
whatever it is that you're facing. Outcomes of faith. The Lord has said unto him, Matthew 25, verse 21, his Lord said unto him, this is in a parable, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It is so important for us to focus on faith and be faithful. An outcome of faith that I hope will occur within my conscious existence. I want to hear my Lord say, well done. I want to hear him say, well done. So how am I going to live? What am I going to do every week and every day? How am I going to live my life? Remember the definition of faith that we were looking at. And you, and you can look at it in uh, Hebrews 11. Living as though what you believe is reality. Reality is, is that I'm saved and I belong to God and I really should live like that. Strong's Concordance is a great way to look into the meanings of words, the Bible, every single word mapped to uh, an original language word, or at least a Greek one, um, from the Septuagint. Many words have a secondary meaning, and sometimes this adds a complementary flavor. So in this word, faithful, 4103. Uh, faithful, because faith, faithful, okay. Yes, it is the same root, it is the same... Um, reference, um, connected reference, you know, they're not the exact same word, but they're kind of just uh, a, different, uh, a different word with the same root. Uh, the first definition is trusty, faithful, trusty, um, one, of persons who show themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. Two, one who has kept his plighted faith, or one who has kept faith in challenges, worthy of trust. Three, one that can be relied on. Okay, but there's a second shade there underneath of meaning, which is absolutely impossible for you to read, sorry. Um, but it, it says persuaded. Actually, it says easily persuaded. But I would say maybe strongly persuaded. It says believing confiding, trusting, and secondly, in the New Testament, one who trusts in God's promises, one who is convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead, one who has become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and author of salvation. That's actually just from a website that was offering Strong's expanded uh, concordance. I like the word conviction a lot. 
I think it has a stronger flavor, conviction, maybe because a convict is someone who has something with the force of the law, conviction, it has the force of the law, conviction. Let's live with strong conviction. Back to Brooke's kind of challenge, doing door-to-door witnessing. Do we have the truth or not? If we have the truth, let's live like we have the truth. Are we saved or not? If we're saved, let's live like that. Yes, we have the truth. Yes, salvation is real. It's reality. And I know I'm saved just as much as I know that I exist. I'm certain. I'm convicted about that. And I want to live like that. I want to focus on faith in life. And I want to hear the Lord say, well done. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for sending your Son so that we can have life. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and help us by the truth of your word to live in that eternal life that you've given us in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would Help us every day to have your word in our thoughts, in our minds, open on the table, reading it through, counting the promises of God that you've given us. I pray that that would be in our families, in our children's minds, and I pray that you would bless us and protect us as we go, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen.